Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, Dan, who's that dentist you go to who practices oral conscious sedation? Oh, yeah, you're thinking about uh, Dr. Mark R. Turner of Taunton. I've got such high anxiety about having dental work done, and I love the idea of not feeling anything or remembering I was there. Before I started seeing him, I used to have to go to my old dentist all the time. Multiple painful visits. Now with Dr. Turner, most procedures only take one trip and my anxiety is gone. Do you know if he does dental implants? He sure does. I lost a tooth and I heard that an implant would be an excellent way to replace it. He did a few dental implants for my brother and he used his new Saric machine. He finished in one visit the work that takes other dentists multiple visits to do. Yeah, you should call Dr. Mark R. Turner for an appointment. For more information about oral conscious sedation and dental implants, call Dr. Mark Turner of Taunton, 508-822-9387. 508-822-9387. Online at markrturnerdds.com, where the R stands for relax. Would you like to contribute to the conversation? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition conversation was in. Jay Talking with Bradley Jay. I listen to morning with the sun up. I'm busy. WBZ News Radio 1030. I tune my radio to AM 1030. The radio's all yours now. I talk to a man whose name is Bradley Jay. Improve my mind in a wonderful way. I just called in. To see what condition conversation was in. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition conversation was in. Beasy, WBZ, you're Jay talking. We're live midnight to five. I'm Bradley Jay, I'm your host. And uh, saw some interesting things that I will share with you later on after our guest. One is the uh, monuments. The memorials, the two memorials that are being built on Boylston Street to memorialize those lost in the marathon bombing. They're under construction, but I can give you a description of what they're going to look like and what they look like currently. Plus, we have a lot more. Open lines will be the rule, but I'll bring you Open Lines Plus. Now we have Gloria J. York, medical manslaughter based on a true story. It, the subtitle is, Will Your Doctor Cause Your Death? Gloria J. York, how do you do? Hi, Bradley. Nice to be with you. Nice to be with you as well. My name is Bradley J. You're Gloria J. Maybe we're related. <laughs> maybe we should get our... I, get I our, don't know about that. Maybe we should get our DNA checked. You never know. It might be a good idea. Okay. Now, this is a fictional story. It's based on a true story. Tell me the fictional plot. 
Okay. The only thing that is fictional, Bradley, is the fact that I had to change our names and the names of the doctors in the hospital and the nursing home. Uh, otherwise, the publisher was not going to publish the book. Okay. Other than that, the entire story is true. All the events that happened to my husband um, are true. So uh, it is a true story, and it's about an egotistical doctor who made a crucial mistake that started the death of my husband, and her mistake put him in a coma. So do me a favor. Do me a favor as we go on. Don't say the doctor's name, okay? Oh, no, I wouldn't. Okay. Do you say the doctor's name in the book? Uh, They're all fictional names. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, there's there's no harm there. And uh, but anyway, this doctor, uh, she completely ignored the fact that I was the wife and power of attorney. And she decided uh, to give him a sleeping pill, which put him into a coma because he had blood all over his brain. You know what? Let's start. Gloria, let's go back to the beginning and and, you know, start from. The very beginning, square one. Let's go back to a day when your husband is healthy and then that first day when something went wrong. We have a lot of time, so we can talk in a lot of detail. Oh, great. Okay. He fell at the house one Sunday morning and um, called the ambulance, rushed him to the nearest hospital. They found that he had blood all over his brain, inside his brain. So they transferred him to a hospital that had a neurological department. He was in ICU for three days. The blood started to go back into his body. And so they said, we're going to send you upstairs to a regular floor. You'll have rehab and you'll be home in three days. So he goes up to a regular floor, rehab examines him, says, great, we'll pick you up tomorrow morning. Everything is is looking bright and positive. He falls asleep. In walks the doctor. She says, I assumed his chart. I'm going to change a lot of his medicines. I kind of questioned that. But then she said, I'm going to also give him a sleeping pill tonight. So I said, doctor, is that his chart in your hand? She said, yes. I said, did you read it? Because if you read it, you're going to see that he has blood all over his brain, inside his brain. I said, now, I'm not a doctor, but I've always read that a person that has a concussion such as this, you certainly don't want to force them to sleep. He's sleeping fine. He's had no trouble sleeping all these various nights. And so back and forth we went. And then finally, she got very belligerent and said, I know what I'm doing. And she stormed out of the room. Well, that was like around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, so all during the day when the various nurses would come in, I kept saying to them, the doctor mentioned a sleeping pill. I don't want him to have it. And so as we got into the evening, he normally would get his pills around 10 p.m. So I went looking for the nurses around 7.30 before I left so that I wanted to reiterate again, no sleeping pill. But they were all at dinner. There wasn't a nurse on the floor. I went to every single room. So I figured I had time. So I left, and as I was walking in the door of my home around 8 o'clock, my husband had called just to see if I got home safely. And I said, 
how did you dial the phone? He said, the nurse is here. I, she dialed it. I said, great, put her on. So I said, listen, I want to reiterate, no sleeping pill. And she said, well, too late. I already gave it to him. And I said, no, no, he doesn't get his pills till 10 p.m. She said, I know, but tonight I decided to give it to him early. Well, I'm very intuitive. I shook all over. I knew we were in for trouble. So I ran in the next morning at 730 in the morning and found him already in a coma. Now, the doctor kept saying, oh, no, he's, he's not in a coma. He'll wake up tomorrow. He's just in a deep sleep. Well, when tomorrow came, he did not wake up. And after two weeks of them trying to get him to come out of the coma, they tried everything possible. The head neurologist said to me, we don't know why he won't come out of the coma. And so our suggestion is let him die. And I said to him, well, apparently you've never loved anyone, doctor. He said, yes, I've loved, but I knew when to let them go. And he will never come out of this coma, he said. So I said, I have no intention of letting him die. I will bring him out of this coma. And so they start badgering me every day. We're going to discharge him. You've got to get out. You've got to get out. And I went running around to the different nursing homes within a 20-mile radius, and no one would take him in because he was in a coma. Then finally I met a woman. She talked to a doctor who was a medical director at a nursing home that was a nice nursing home, renovated, beautiful. And so he took him in. And when he came to visit after three, four days, I finally got to meet him, and I'm thanking him for taking him in. And he said, well, I only took him in because I figured he's going to die in five days. And I said, well, doctor, I have a whole plan that I'm going to institute here to bring him out of this coma. I will, I will bring him out of the coma. And he said, well... I'm here every few days. He says, let me know how that's working out. We're at the point now where he does come out of the coma. So take me to that morning before he came out of the coma and tell us what it was like. You can use extreme detail. Okay. He, he was in the coma for 34 days. Now, uh, I developed a routine that took me about an hour every single day, things that I came up with uh to bring him out of it. And uh, he was um, a big band orchestra leader, entertainer. He was a singer, virtuoso of the saxophone. So being in the entertainment field for about 50 years, he backed some top stars such as Sinatra, Dean, Sammy, Johnny Cash, Wayne Newton, Tony Bennett. The list is endless. And so naturally, I relied a lot on his own CDs. And I worked with the nursing home. Um, they gave me permission to let that CD play, not only during the day, but more so all during the night. And it was playing softly. And, at, um, and of course, most of the residents in the nursing home were seniors, and they loved the big band music. So it didn't bother anyone. And he got to hear himself singing and playing all throughout the night. And I think that that was one thing that did help him. 
I also looked into, um, and I got a Theta Brain CDs, and I played that for him during the day in addition to doing other things, which is outlined in medical manslaughter. And all that together, it caused him to wake up one morning, and he just was staring at me. And I, I was more or less talking to myself, and um, it was so funny. I wasn't looking at him. I was fixing this uh, contraption of the... Uh, air conditioner so that the cold air wouldn't be blowing on him directly. And I said to him, all I want you to do is wake up and tell me you love me again. And all of a sudden I heard, ah, da, da, and I turn around and I look at him, and there he is awake looking at me. So when he first woke up there, he did not have his speech. His speech was garbled. And so I immediately got a speech therapist to come in at least twice a week for about a half hour each time. And I myself went and bought baby books. And whenever she wasn't there, then I was teaching him ABCs, colors, animals. And so between the two of us, after a couple of weeks, two to three weeks, he started to be able to verbalize. And it, it made sense. In other words, the brain healed enough so that the connection was there. Um, and so um, from there, it, it was good because uh, even though he was on a feeding tube, he naturally was an invalid. Um, he didn't realize, you know, the extent of his injury. I kept telling him, you're getting better, you're going to be coming home. Sometimes he would say to me, hey, let me take you to dinner. Come on, let's go. Let's go to dinner. And I, but that was impossible, of course, and so I would just say, you know what, honey, I'm, I'm not hungry tonight. I'm just not hungry. Maybe tomorrow. Oh, okay, pick a, pick a nice place, and we'll go to dinner tomorrow. And I'd say, okay. And... Um, I put the TV on once, and the football game was on. The Bears were playing, and for some reason, he thought he was playing in the football game. And he said to me, could you tell the coach that I'm very tired and I, I can't play anymore? So I would pretend. I pretended like I called the coach on the phone, and I said, you know, he's he's just can't play anymore, Coach. He's done a good job for you today, but he just needs his rest. And so he was sitting there looking at me, waiting to hear what the coach would say. And I hung up and I said, the coach said, that's fine. You could go to sleep now. You did a great job for him today. And he was so happy and he would just close his eyes and go to sleep. So there were times he was on, sometimes he wasn't. But he, like I said, he came out of it in August. I kept him in the nursing home to the beginning of November, and then I brought him home, and we were able to have Thanksgiving together, of course, Christmas together, New Year's Eve together, and then he died in my arms on January 6th of 2013. Well, that's, a, that's some story. Well, you know, medical manslaughter 
takes you through a lot. It's a super abundance of information. I obviously did not have to write this story. In order to write this story, I had to open up all the wounds again and relive the nightmare. I, I didn't need I didn't need that. But I did it because everyone that lived the story with me, friends and relatives and neighbors, everybody said, you know, you got to tell people about this story because they can learn so much from all that you went through. And so that's why it took me three and a half years to write it. And that's why I wrote it, to save people's lives. So medical manslaughter teaches the reader how to be a superior advocate, not only for the person in the bed, but also for yourself as the patient. It gives you tips on bringing someone out of a coma. It shows you about the nightmare of living in the nursing home. And it takes a very spiritual turn. Within those seven months, six miracles occurred. I also include a special prayer to the Blessed Mother. Whether you're Catholic or not, it doesn't matter. This prayer works. And then finally, I prove to you that there is life after death. Just because your loved ones are deceased, that does not mean that they're gone, because they are not. Life goes on. And I proved that to you. Okay. Now... I have some more time after this break. Would it be okay if I got some more uh, information on the things you mentioned in the front flap, what to do if you suspect malpractice and what not to do? And then I would ask you about more about getting someone out of a coma and why that worked, and also more about living in a nursing home, what that's really like, and also about going home on hospice entails, and also at least... Maybe a couple of the miracles. I don't want to give all the miracles away, but maybe you could go into detail on that. And also, maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, just hint a little bit concerning the life beyond death and the supernatural, and then it cannot be denied. Do you have the time? I have the time, Bradley. Okay. So this is Gloria J. York. Will your doctor cause your death? Medical manslaughter based on... A true story. It's based on Gloria's true story. And I actually have a couple of questions about the, the incident itself. And the, the incident, the fall, were you there? Did you see what happened? Did, did he just fall and hit his head? Was that it? Or did he hurt his back? What was the... Well, he, he got up and is, we both woke up at the same time. It was around 5 a.m. He said, I'm, I'm going to the bathroom. Yeah. So he... Got out of bed, goes into the hall, because that's his bathroom in the hallway. And I heard three loud thumps, bam, bam, bam. And I called out to him, and he didn't answer. And so I called out louder, and he still didn't answer. And so I went running into the hall, and I found him on the floor facing up, his eyes wide open, his mouth wide open, and his arms outstretched in the air. And I dropped to my knees, and I grabbed him. I start rocking him back and forth, and I'm asking a million questions. What happened? Did you get dizzy? Da, da, da. And he's not answering me. So 
in reality, I didn't realize it at that point, but I did realize it afterwards. I think I brought him back from Heaven's Gate. I really do. I brought him back from somewhere because he just wasn't conscious. And then all of a sudden, after, let's say, of, of these, asking these questions and rocking him back and forth for a good, I'd say, a good minute and a half, he started to moan, oh, my head. Okay. I have so much pain. My head, my head. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are with Gloria J. York. She has a book called Medical Manslaughter. Will your doctor cause your death? That's a very straightforward title, Gloria. So I'm going to recap a little bit and then ask you some more questions. If you just joined us, Gloria's husband fell, went to the hospital, and uh, ended up in a coma. Came out of the coma with the help of with Gloria's help, and he lived a few months. So they had a few months together. So we did talk about the fall. Can you tell me what the damage was from the fall? You, of course, you can't know what happened in the fall because no one was there except your husband. What was the actual damage when they, you know, worked on a diagnosis? Did they, they did tests, they took a, I'm sure some x-rays and did a bunch of other things. What was the actual problem internally? They did. They took CAT scans and all kind of uh, EEGs. They could find no reason for it. There was no stroke. There was no aneurysm. There was no blood clot. They could never find the reason for the fall. Okay, but what was the damage then, caused by the fall? The damage uh, actually, uh, he had head pain. He had severe head pain. He knew me. Uh, he was alert. Everything was going fine, even the three days in intensive care. Uh, all the, the main thing that he complained of was the severe head pain, and naturally that was explained because of all the blood around the brain and in the brain with all that pressure, and that's okay. what was causing so, pressure. So that's my question. They, they found blood. He hit his head. Uh, did he hit his head, and there was somehow bleeding into, uh, I guess, outside his brain, between the skull and the brain. So there was bleeding. Right, from, from actually hitting his head two or three times. Okay. Depending, you know. So that was, that was my question. And he was okay for a while, then he went into a coma. What, how do you know it was the pill that caused it? The sleeping pill? Because there was no reason for him to even have a sleeping pill. And to give a person a sleeping pill with blood all over their brain like that, uh, every, every doctor I talked to, every nurse I talked to said, my God, we learned that in 101. You don't do that. You don't force somebody to go to sleep with all this blood all over their brain already. Okay. And uh, Next, you are... You were the legal healthcare proxy, yet the, the healthcare professionals did not pay attention to you on this matter, correct? 
Correct. And if you looked into it afterwards with a lawyer, what are the rules about that? Are they supposed to? Are they legally bound to do that or not? Of course. I'm a power of attorney for health, and that's why you have a will and you you designate that. Uh, To take it one step further, I sent the records and talked to an uh, attorney firm and um, at first, they were very interested. Oh, my, you know, oh, this, this shouldn't have been. And then they heard the name of the hospital, and they backed off. Well, a few weeks later, I contacted even a larger firm. He said, send me all of the records. I sent him all the records. And then he called me, and he said to me, what day did your husband, what day did you say your husband went into the coma? I said, July 27th. He said, did you read these records that you sent me? I said, no. They're like, what, three feet high? <laughs> he said, well, let me read it to you. July 27th, patient alert and anxious to go home. July 28th, patient alert and anxious to go home. July 29th, I said, no, no, no. He's in a coma all these days. 34 days he's in a coma. He said, my dear, the doctor and the nurse went in and changed the record on you. You don't have a leg to stand on. In court, the doctor is God. You are nothing. And they, they went in and changed the record to hide the fact that he went into a coma. And he said, there's nothing you could do. And I said to him, I'm a writer. I promise you, I will have the last word. And... What can a patient do to prevent them from ch- prevent and healthcare folks from changing the record? Is there anything you can I do, would, like take a yeah, take a picture you with your phone every day or something every, like that? Every single day, get a copy of the daily records, the daily nurses' notes. Every single day, get it. Are you legally you're right on top of things? Okay. Are they supposed to let you have that? Is that the, the rule? Can they say no to that? You, you, you can go right to records, the records department. Yeah, right there um, at the desk, they're probably going to say, you know, oh, we don't have them done, yeah. and, you know, they'll give you excuses. But you go to the records department, and you will pay. You will pay to get those notes, like oh. I did. I paid. You, you paid, but it was too late. They were changed, right? After Correct. You- after yeah, you, that's right. you, you got them. Yeah. At, so what I'm trying to do is figure out how to get them before they're changed. That's just like we said, go down there and get it okay. every single day. Are the records in the room? Is the chart in the room? No. Nah, because if it, if it were in the room like the old days, you could take a picture of it with your phone each day. Okay. You could. Yeah, but you can't. <laughs> okay. Uh, and if anyone now, if anyone has a question or a Comment. You can. You're welcome to call at this point. Six one seven two five four ten thirty. I have about fifteen twenty minutes left. Now I'm curious to have you answer some of the questions that do are addressed in the front flap. And the uh, number one question is: What do you not do if you would suspect malpractice? Well, you don't show you don't show your anger 
and your disappointment like I did. You can imagine when my husband, when I walked in that next morning, found him in a coma, uh, and I'm getting from this doctor, oh, he's, he's just sleeping. He'll wake tomorrow. She was frantic. And you can imagine I took the roof off of that hospital, and I did. And she said, he'll wake up tomorrow. And this was all downstairs in front of a lot of people because all of our elevators, there's six banks of elevators there, they all opened at the same time. And I addressed her right in front of everybody. I said, I brought my husband in here with his senses, and you have turned him, I said, into a vegetable. You've completely ignored me as the wife. And when I started into her, everyone stopped and just stood there listening. And she said, oh, he'll wake up tomorrow. He'll wake up tomorrow. And I put my finger right in her face. And I said to her, he better wake up tomorrow or I will own this hospital. So you're going to learn when you read medical manslaughter, you will learn a lot from what I did right, which was a lot of right. But you'll learn from what I did wrong. Are you going to pursue any more any legal actions uh, or are you done? No. After that attorney said to me, the records were changed, which is a criminal offense. Uh, but I cannot prove it, see. I cannot prove it at this point. Not only that, statute of limitations for any sort of um, situation like this is three years. Okay. But uh, when he said, you know, the record's changed, uh, the record's changed, the record has changed. What are you going to do? And, of course, every, even me telling my own personal doctor about it, she, she just looked. She said, my God, that's criminal. I, she goes, they, they, if you could have proved that back then, they, they would be in prison. So, now, see, what they did was they okay. took the doctor off the floor and the nurse. The doctor and the nurse, after I fired her, I said that very day, I said to patient advocacy, I don't want her even near my husband. Well, from that day on, neither one were seen on that floor. Interesting. Now, she's no longer connected to that hospital. So there should be Definitely. all kinds of witnesses that would know that your husband was in a coma. There should be a bunch. Oh, not only that, every every three to five days, um, like I said, he was he was a Chicago legend. And so uh, people wanted to know when they heard that he was in the hospital and he was ill and he was had a coma. People wanted to know. So the, uh, what I started to do was send out emails to um, everyone because I couldn't answer all these phone calls that were coming in. And so I said to everyone, send me your email address, and every three to five days I will send you an update on how he's doing. Okay. Well, the list got up to about 100 people. And so I would sit down and I would send out, here's what's happened today. Here's what the neurologist said. These are the tests that okay. they're doing. And, of course, they all knew he was in a coma. So uh, there are a whole bunch of people. There are a whole bunch of people that would have seen him in a coma that would testify to the fact that he was in a coma or they would be perjuring themselves. You see, you have on the one hand, you have the one hand, the records that say he was not in a coma. You have witnesses saying he was in a coma. I would think that I would think that that would be something that you could have gone to court with. I don't see why the lawyer would have said nothing you can do. There are a whole bunch of witnesses. 
Exactly. And I said this to the attorney, you know, not only uh, friends and relatives and these emails that I had, which I thought really covered me, uh, I said the doctor that took that other doctor's place, okay, now you got him. I said, that, you know, there's so many, I said, that could, could uh, verify what I'm saying. Yeah. And he said, no. He said, they won't do it. I'm telling you, they won't do it. They'll say, I can't remember too long ago. I have so many other patients. Uh, I can't verify what she's saying. Uh, he said the doctor is God in the court. Well, and, I don't know. And, I, I got to say that if if you had five nurses that say, oh, no, this guy was perfectly fine, and the doctor said something else, that there would be an issue. I'm going to move on from that. I guess the thing to do is make sure you have people's names and keep, I don't know, keep keep records. It shouldn't have to do that when somebody's sick, but I guess that's part of being your own advocate. Now tell me about life in, oh, and you know what? We have some folks that want to talk to you. Martha in Somerville, Massachusetts. Hi, Martha. Hi, it's actually Melissa, but good evening. Okay, hi, Melissa. <laughs> Hello, Gloria. I'm so sorry about what happened to your husband. That's a complete tragedy. Um, I just wanted to say... I'm an LPN, and I work in uh, Massachusetts, and actually, uh, seven years ago today, my brother was in a coma at a hospital in Massachusetts, and um, he lost his life, and it was um, neglect on behalf of the hospital as well, so I feel your pain. In regards to the medical charts, um, now, the actual hospital, they own the chart themselves. What the patient owns is the medical information in that chart. So when it comes time for um, a lawsuit or um, them actually presenting the chart to the patient, it is a watered-down version of what is actually in the chart. They only give um, bits and pieces of pertinent information. They definitely alter it, and it is you do not get the whole version. So I completely understand um, that aspect. However, the fact that she couldn't prosecute or have a criminal case against that hospital sounds completely um, ludicrous. I, I can't believe somebody isn't being held accountable for that, and that's a that's a great loss. And so I just wanted to express my sincere sympathies for your husband and the tragedy that you endured. Yeah, Thank I would you. think I for me, I would. I, I guess if if the thing that bothers me is there would be many people who saw he was in a coma. And if the chart says he was not in a coma, it's pretty clear. And I don't, it seems like what that seems like enough information to get a subpoena to the to get the records or something. I that, agree. That seems I, I don't understand off that. The, off the uh, reservation. Correct. I agree with you 100. percent That's uh, um, unthinkable. Well, yeah, okay. I, agree, I agree with both of you. Thank you, Melissa. I'm very excited to read the book. Thank you so much for taking my call. Yeah, Melissa, and you should call more often, please. Thank you. <laughs> Once a week, at least. Now it's Sheila in Boston. Hi, Sheila. You're on WBZ with Gloria J. York. Yes, I would like to say that, first of all, Gloria, um, I admire your courage and the tenacity and the perseverance to write the book. I uh, had... I buried three members of my own family because of medical malpractice. The hospitals changed the records. Um, the doctor who, uh, uh, in the local Boston area, I won't say who, uh, 
who um, operated for a successful prostate operation on my father when my father had pain subsequently. Didn't see him. Maybe he was busy on the golf course, but he prescribed medication, never seeing my father, different medications for three weeks in a row, killed my father's kidneys, which were healthy, and then he had to go on dialysis. Then there was a gentleman we told we didn't want him to be uh, uh, doing the my father's fistula, you know, for the dialysis because he was really in, not uh, appropriate for the task and had injured my father. A year later, he was on the situation again, causing my father to go to the hospital, and it was a deck of cards. Um, he developed septus in the hospital because he said, you know, I felt something go on my in my uh, my stomach when they moved me onto the gurney. And whatever it was, nobody caught it. And um, that was it. That was it. My sister had an um, ectopic pregnancy. They, it was a miracle that she even survived. Uh, the baby was eight months, five pounds, outside the fallopian tubes. They misread uh, the ultrasound, and they tried to induce labor. Uh, this was in Florida, and like they could have killed my sister. Not only did she have to bury her child, which could have lived, a boy. Um, and they changed the records. They also changed the records in the hospital in Boston with my father. And you could tell because the ink was different, in fact. Um, my grandmother went into a nursing home just because a live, a brilliant woman, 81 years old, still singing in her choir at uh, the synagogue. And he, she died because the doctor forgot to prescribe um, her uh, water pills. And she just wanted a bandages changed on her ankle because she couldn't bend down to change it. My God, you've had bad luck with the system. Sheila, thank I'll you. tell you, and I and I am a chaplain, and I go into a hospital. I am not a patient. I myself am a two-time cancer survivor. I am my own advocate. When I get home, uh, then I'm the patient. But I will tell you, I myself was in the. Uh, I was sent home too early from something that was colon cancer, and I said I'm home too early. The doctor, incidentally, thought he could do it at. Um, uh, I, you know, just by a, a little incision. No, he had to open me up because uh, I don't think another doctor gave him that info. Sent me to the emergency uh, 48 hours later, but they wouldn't readmit me. That's a nightmare. I have to. Our, show, our show's over, they Sheila. They made a mistake. That's another a lot of mistakes, Sheila. Thank you. But you knew they no. changed the records. You knew that. You could see they were changed. Like they will they erase it or or. Go over it with the ink, Sheila? Different people saw them in my family and went to lawyers. And they said, we can't do anything because the records have been changed. I don't know. Okay, I believe you. you, I I, I believe you, but if I was in the situation that Gloria, I would find a lawyer right away that I would say, a whole bunch of people saw my husband well, uh, I mean, in a coma. They say there was no coma. Uh, that's just horrible. Well, you, you've gone through a lot, Gloria, and thank you for sharing uh, your story. And again, very strong and 
Good luck getting this message out there. Gloria J. York, medical ma manslaughter. Will your doctor cause your death? Thank you so much. Thank you. WBZ. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.